0: Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Porak Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello, Porak. The Second Row Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere. So rate, like, subscribe, do all the things
1: that need to be done to make this podcast grow, and tell your friends. This week we're talking round twenty of the Pro Fourteen. Uh, but before we do, me and a very tired Porik Kelly are going to have a look at the news from the rugby world this week. I have come fresh from the Connacht Rugby Awards Ball last night, so I am. Wrecked, to say the least. <laughs> well, not as wrecked as a certain Australian international's rugby career. Israel fell out in hot water again, and this time seems to have crossed that line into homophobic abuse. At a time when his contract, specifically with Rugby Australia, says you can't, and they're tearing it up. It's great to see Australia and
0: the Waratahs take such a strong stand for inclusivity. People are allowed their religious beliefs, but when you have that type of platform,
1: you can't force them on other people. And it's not just the rugby union community within Australia. The NRL have said no to a return. Maurit Bougianon, the of Toulon, has already come out and branded him a moron. But there are some people in his camp. Billy Vunapola got himself into hot water this week as well, looking to jump on board and give him a bit of support by all accounts. And on his trip to
0: Bristol, he got booed the second he went on. And Bristol being incredible because their social media is great. But to play
1: reigning men is just... Hilarious, It is. But you know what? This one is going to be interesting. I think it's highly likely at this stage that Falao won't be lining up with Australia in the Rugby World Cup. And fair play. As you said, it's it's great to see them
0: taking a stand. We'll move on from that and we'll take a look at the Carr Cup. It's a competition between the four Irish A-teams and the New England Free Jacks. Not the best of results for the Americans. I think they lost every game. They've lost every game to Irish opposition. But some of the inter fixtures have thrown up
1: some nice results. Yeah, Leinster and Munster A played out a 53-49 win for Leinster during the week. Great result. And Connacht beat Ulster a couple of weeks ago. I think it's been a nice addition to the calendar, given the B&I Cup wasn't around this year. And you know what? It's great for the Free Jacks to start getting their game readiness before joining Major League Rugby next season in the US. It's the perfect prep for them.
0: We'll bring international news closer to home and we'll start in
1: France. And they've gone full France. They have. We talked last week about this democratic choice for the new French coach. And the French clubs have decided that it must 100% be a Frenchman. It cannot be a foreign coach. No Gatland, no Lancaster, no Woodward. What an antiquated view of the world. Like, seriously, they have enough money they could have even
0: tempted Joe Schmidt back out of retirement. It's a silly call. Just it's silly. <laughs> On the other end
1: of the innovative coaching spectrum, Wales appear to be going forward with two defence coaches once Wayne Pivak comes into the head coach role. Sean Edwards signing a contract to stay on with the national team.
0: Well look, they have just defended their way to a Six Nations title. It makes sense to like double
1: down on that. More defence. That's what Wales want. <laughs> if it wins some trophies it will. Well, it won them a game in Port Elizabeth on Friday night. The Ospreys holding the Southern Kings to just one try, which is pretty rare at home, and picking up 43 points of their own. Big win for the Welsh region. It really was, but we didn't see it. No, unfortunately, this was pretty hard to get a hold of the match footage of, so what you'll hear now is us trying to reconstruct a game from having read the stats.
0: Yeah, air sport only showing... One Pro 14 game Friday night. TJ Kair having the other one. That's Munster and Ulster, those two games. And Ospreys and Kings not being shown on air until tomorrow.
1: That's Monday as we're recording this. Anyway, the Kings came out and their discipline, as is pretty predictable at this point, wasn't great. 14 penalties and a yellow card for taking a man in the air. But it was their tackle completion rate that really jammed them up here. Missing nearly 30 tackles.
0: Like, if they made half of them, they could have got more yellow cards.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, but they probably would have prevented at least some of the Ospreys' tries. True. Who were just able to score whenever they wanted. Dan Evans picking up a hat trick and man of the match.
0: But Kings did get one solitary try driving maul, But really, that's pretty much it from what
1: we can tell that they had in this game. It is. And that was an hour into the match, at which point the Ospreys were already 30, 40 points ahead. One player worth pointing out, Keelan Giles didn't get on the scoreboard, but managed to beat eight defenders, set up a try and run for 100 metres. So he did everything but score a try in this game. Pretty much. Um, Like we said, didn't get to see this one, but it's exactly the result that the Ospreys needed at this stage of the season. Based on other results in the conferences, puts them into fourth place and in with a shot of European rugby. And who would have thought that earlier this year? I
0: wouldn't have thought that was possible two weeks ago, let alone earlier on in the
1: season. Uh, speaking of things I didn't think was possible, Munster travelled to Italy to play Benetton on Friday night and came away with a 37 points to 28 bonus point win. Incredible. And this was a game that swung back and forth, which isn't something you expect in Benetton matches. No, they were very composed initially and got that good try, got three points, put up a 10 nil lead, but then just seemed to drop their concentration. We got a really nice try back. And then the second try was just ridiculous,
0: just complete madness. No one knew what to do.
1: Can someone get the Benny Hill music theme tune for the replay of that try? Oh, completely. But Munster capitalised on it, and all of a sudden they go from ten nil down to fourteen ten ahead. Still, though, Benetton were very much in this game, and in particular, our back row just wasn't playing the referee very well. Clute at risk of getting on the wrong side of Ben Whitehouse, as he is wont to do.
0: Yeah, he isn't the smartest of players at times. He.
1: He doesn't tailor his game to the refs he's playing with every week. And it was really Bennett and just starting to be a little more careless of the ball. Even in the first 30 minutes, despite that lunatic Troy, they were doing the whole composed good possession rugby thing. But from 30 minutes onwards, they just seemed to take their eye off the ball a little bit. Although they did get a perfect try just before halftime.
0: And they got a penalty try right after halftime. They were comfortably in the driving seat. I was shocked to see them lose this from this point on.
1: Looking at this Munster team, it almost seemed like they were galvanized by Sweetenham going off, yellow carded for a deliberate knock-on. And to be honest, I think the penalty try was a little bit generous. It looked like there was enough Munster cover coming across, but... Fair enough. No, Whitehouse is known to give generous penalty tries. His probably is a very loose term. Well, he was pretty generous to Benetton in general. There was a really, really nasty challenge by Tommaso Benvenuti on Stephen Archer.
0: No, that was a red.
1: That that was a red. It should have been a red. smashed him directly in the face, but the refereeing team just bottled it completely. And it was really amusing to hear Billy Holland talking to Ben Whitehouse. He just said, can I ask you a question? How is that not a red? And White House had no credible explanation, and I think we'll see a sighting this week.
0: Oh, definitely. Now, medium force from White House isn't in the laws, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Player welfare has to be paramount, and if refs are talking themselves out of reds, they need to start this conversation again about player welfare.
1: I'm hoping it was an isolated incident. There were a couple of mistakes that refereeing teams made over the course of this weekend. This was one of the most blatant, though, for my money. When it comes to player welfare, you can't make mistakes. Fair. What was good about Munster was, even though they didn't have as much of the ball, they seemed to be able to make a lot of ground very quickly when they did have it. And part of that was J.J. hanahan kind of coming into the game in fits and bursts and really taking the play to the gain line. But even watching some of our backfield moving and getting into positions, Shane Daly, who hasn't got a lot of experience at this level, had a good game. Mike Haley was everywhere that he needed to be. J.J. is
0: Munster's nearest style player to Joey Carberry and... If that's the way Munster are trying to play, it's clear he's getting most
1: out of your back line. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a real selection decision for next week as to who we go with at 10. It looks like Carberry's not going to be fit. But obviously, a European semi-final is a big step up for either JJ or Tyler. What surprised me, though, is Tommaso Allen was anonymous, especially in that second half. He really just disappeared out of this game completely. It was a shame because he's been so core to everything good that Benetton have done this year. And because he wasn't pulling the strings, the pack had to do an awful lot of work. And I think they just faded. And this is a theme that I saw across a lot of the games this weekend. The last 20 minutes, teams are starting to really struggle with fitness, particularly teams that don't have as big of a squad to rotate through. Benetton have essentially two squads, the Italian side and the day-to-day side. Definitely. There was still a bit of drama late in this game. Munster were pegging Benetton back, some really nice tactical kicking. But Shane Daly did jump for a block down and ended up kind of hitting Tito Hibaldi with his ass. Very similar to what CJ Stander got red carded for in the South Africa test. Almost identical. But again, Ben White has talked it down to not even a penalty. Fair contest for the ball. It's just inconsistent. Yeah. That's not... No, sorry. Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) Look, we have to look
0: forward to the rest of the season for both these teams. Monster are be happy with their carrying from that game and their
1: decision-making as the game went on. And both of these teams had really strong set-piece. There was a real battle there. For me, Benetton's initial possession play was really good, but they just weren't able to keep that energy level up. Definitely in need of the week off next week during Europe. And their back three are so dangerous. Taviaro was on fire on Friday. Yeah, fitness was an issue, but their back
0: row will need to be more effective. They really seem to be missing Negri during the game. And it, this game was being played at Munster's tempo at times. Not what you need when you're going for those playoff places in the Pro
1: 14. Although as much as Munster's back row were able to slow down the ball, they were struggling to get possession. And their first up tackling was nowhere near what we've seen their levels at this season. So hopefully we'll see the squad rotated. Look at our Champions Cup game next week and really bring that defence back to the fore.
0: Next up on Friday night, Edinburgh hosted Ulster in what was a huge Conference B playoff game. And I expected this to be a lot
1: better than it was. Well, I expected it to be a lot closer. Edinburgh getting beaten by 29 points to 7 in Murrayfield. I was talking to you about this last week and I did not think Ulster had this game in them. I just
0: worry, is this Edinburgh's form caving at the wrong point
1: of year? Did that monster loss just kill their momentum? I think that's a reasonable question to ask at this stage. They looked like a shadow of themselves. None of their big players, Bill Mata, Jacob Vandervaalt, Henry Pergos, had the type of game we've come to expect of them this season. And that's an Ulster side who lost Marty Moore ten minutes in and had Ross Kane for 70 minutes of the match. Like Kane's a decent player, but he's no Marty Moore. The thing about it, though, is Ulster were just more switched on. They looked like they were more up for it. Even their opening try, they were just playing the whistle. Edinburgh ripped the ball back in the content and Geordie Murphy came out of nowhere to dot down. He was just one of an Ulster pack, though, that were
0: up for it and hitting everything with intensity and playing everything all the way to the full 80
1: minutes. And from the very start, like those collisions from the Ulster forwards were immense. Having said that, Edinburgh weren't there to just make up the numbers. Bradbury, skoman Watson and McAnally were carrying a lot of ball. But as I said, Bill Maddow was very quiet by his standards.
0: And it doesn't help when you're 10, Jacko Vanderbilt, was just having a mare, missing kicks off the tee, missing kicks to touch. Like, you've got to relieve pressure when you're under the cosh
1: as much as they were. Well, he got hooked at 33 minutes and it did not look like an injury. It looked like Cockerell just hauled him off the pitch and sent in Simon Hickey. That's not something you see a lot
0: of. But it didn't really help because Balakum scored an incredible try just on the stroke of half
1: time, which just seemed to be a killer blow. And that was a real winger's try, like just pure, pure gas and step outside. The exact wrong time to concede a score like that, particularly when you've had to fight your way back into the half as Edinburgh had. Uh, End of the day, Ulster were just so clinical in that first half. Edinburgh did raise their intensity
0: in that second half, but let's be honest,
1: Ulster just had too much for them. They did, and they were helped by some really, really poor tackling for Ulster's third try. And Edinburgh's score that they did get was just Watson and Barkley kind of, I'm going to do this on my own, I don't need the rest of you. But it was just too late at that point.
0: And there really isn't much Edinburgh can take from this game. They looked off the pace. They were a good team, but this was another bad day at the office.
1: Massively so. In contrast that with an Ulster side whose tackling and control of the game was outstanding who were just so clinical from that first try down to billy burns running a neat little line for the bonus point ulster weren't perfect but they were absolutely everything that they needed to be yeah they weren't great under the high ball that's something they will be targeted on in these later matches and their discipline does need to improve it was a bit ropey for the start of the game they tightened up as it went on which was unfortunate because edinburgh were just going into free fall at that stage And where do Edinburgh go from here? They're now in a battle to try and retain fourth place in the conference so that they have some shot at Champions Cup rugby next year. That's a pretty disappointing finish given how much promise they've shown over the course of the season.
0: Meanwhile, in Conference A, two other promising sides clashed in the sports grounds. Connacht hosting Cardiff and came out 29 points to 22 victors. How pleased were you with this? Unbelievably so. I was in the sports
1: ground the atmosphere on the final whistle was immense. This is huge, though, because this result means that Connacht have achieved knockout rugby in both their domestic league and in Europe. That's an enormous achievement for a new coaching team. It's incredible.
0: And guaranteeing Champions Cup rugby off their own back for only the second time is just a huge confidence boost. Oh, the first time they did that, they went on and won the tournament, didn't they, Pork? Yeah, they did. Let's see if that happens. You know, who knows? And the finals over in Scotland
1: again. So who, like, the stars are aligning? Maybe not. <laughs> but Connor didn't do this all on their own. They got help a couple of times. So some incredibly ropey refereeing decisions. I think you'll probably be buying the TMO a Christmas card next year. Don't get me wrong. We rode our luck, and we needed a lot of it in this game. Well, that's from the first 10 minutes. After defending a really, really good period of possession from Cardiff, Quelan Blade got it over for a try after Paul Boyle broke. But it is extremely clear to me watching it that he was part of the ruck there. There's no way he should have been allowed to pick that ball. No, he
0: had one foot ahead of the ball, reach backs and break through a gap into the Cardiff
1: defence. He was bound to the ball carrier, like, that's a ruck. It is, although it was extremely amusing watching this back on air sport. There was 10 seconds of dead air as the two commentators tried to figure out what was happening. These dudes do not know the game. And still didn't know what was going wrong. Meanwhile,
0: on TG Carr, they actually could hear
1: the ref and knew what was going on. It was the ideal start for Connop though. And, you know, you take your lucky breaks where you can get them. Although, when I turned over to this game on 20 Minutes In, Cardiff were getting some good luck of their own, Owen Lane going in for a try after Daryl Leader got turned inside out. That was actually Jack Carty's fault. He burst
0: out the line and left Leader in no man's land on a three-on-one. There was a try always coming in
1: that situation. It just looked like a matter of time for Cardiff. But again, Connacht just picked themselves up, went down at the other end, and off a line-out mall, just drove it over. What, what was actually most impressive in this, weirdly, was Bundy Aki Aki was anchoring the mall as both of your second rows rotated out of the front and came in and drove it over the line. But they wouldn't have been able to do that if Aki hadn't been holding it so solidly. It was really impressive. He's been used as an extra mall player for... Three seasons now. It's something he really enjoys doing, apparently. Bundy smash. <laughs> the whole Connor Pack we're fronting up, though. You've got Paul Boyle, who just appeared to be absolutely everywhere. Fainga had a great game. Gavin Thornbury was immense. The amount of carrying he was doing was just absurd. But you were missing too many tackles, and Cardiff were finding too much space. It's been an issue all season, though.
0: Our front-up tackling isn't good enough. When we hit a two-man tackle, we always drive the
1: man back. But one up, there's always an element of, Will this land? Mm. But I'll tell you what did land was that try by Carty in the second half. One of the best tries I think I've ever seen Connacht score.
0: In the award term when he actually won try of the year for the chip and chase versus Leinster in the RDS. This would have won it hands down if they had a week to vote on it. <laughs> Much better try. <laughs> <I> totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> um, if you're looking at from Carter's perspective though, they didn't play the conditions as well as Connacht. Like they didn't pin us back with the boot in the second half when they really should have.
1: I think Cardiff are such a running side, and in particular, for the last 25 minutes when they brought Jared Evans on, it's all about them moving the ball around quickly through running rugby rather than pinning it back. And by rights, with 20 minutes to go, they should have had another score awarded. But the TMO came to Connacht's rescue again. Every angle I watched in this looked like Jason Harry's got the ball down before his hand went into touch. I'd agree.
0: I'd, I'd agree. But Harry's has to do better and put the ball down with his outside hand, which is what it was
1: in when he actually took the contact. That's what was so strange. Like, as a winger, you are taught ball in the outside hand because the closest thing to the wing should be the ball. Gives you the maximum chance of getting the ball down. You see Johnny McNichol do it the whole time. You see all of the best wingers do this. And Harry's had the ball perfect. For some reason, switched it to his inside hand. And that was what created that bit of ambiguity. Having said that, Cardiff did come down, score a try, and get back within a score. But Connacht went straight back off the dropout. With the maddest try you'll ever see. Ridiculous. Let's get the Benny Hill music back going again. Oh, there were so many of these tries as defences were just so loose in the last 20 minutes of games. End of the season stuff, whatever. Brain's not completely with it for a full 80-minute game. But Cardiff kind of returning to some of their early season hairy finishes in this.
0: Connacht held out, like... Just about. That, that, that final five minutes went both ways. But you know what? I think we deserved it over the 80. I know we, we ruled our luck with a 14-point swing, but I think over the 80 we played some of the better rugby.
1: Well, maybe over the 20 games this season it'll balance out for you. But I think Cardiff will probably feel a little bit hard done by. Sometimes luck is enough and Connacht absolutely took everything in front of them, played the conditions, played the decisions and came out with a win. Despite the fact that Cardiff really had a strong finish to this game, their bench making a massive effort to try and pull it back for them. Whereas the Calf bench
0: weren't up to their usual standard when they came on. For example, Delon didn't play to his standard when he replaced Heffernan. Copeland isn't as good a player as Jared Butler
1: but well, he did win a vital turnover. He did. I think the difference was, though, Cardiff were bringing on players who were able to up the pace and change the game. For Connacht, you were bringing on players who you could tell the overall standard of the team was dropping every time a bench player came on for Connacht. And if Cardiff had better luck, then I think they could have come out of here with some points that would have kept their season alive. As it is, they're now potentially not even going to be in that fourth place playoff, having fallen behind the Ospreys. Nightmare finish for them. Well, themselves and Ospreys can battle that out on the final day of the season. We then moved to the RDS, where the already qualified Leinster hosted the already qualified Glasgow, with only one thing really at stake here, which was Glasgow's chances of a home semi-final. And they did those chances no harm at all, getting a 39 points to 24 win. Like, can we rely on Leinster to do anything?
0: Yeah, when the final three games of the season switch off because they've qualified for everything.
1: I don't like this new not doing useful things for Irish rugby Leinster. I would prefer the previous version who would have eviscerated this Glasgow team. Oh
0: wait, yes. You're a Munster fan who would have liked Glasgow to lose this. Yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) That would have been great. There we go. And they started being daft from minute three. Berg and
1: card for an early tackle. Like, what was he doing? It was just Pure, stupid timing. Tommy Seymour was clean through to score a try. He just had to gather the ball and dot it down. Except Ross Byrne took him out from behind before he could catch the ball. Just really, really silly. Byrne was lucky there was a covering defender. Otherwise, that would have been a penalty try for sure. Yeah, and as it was, Glasgow did still get the three points. Leinster, of course, went back up the other end, crashed through multiple phases off a line-out mall, and Jameson Gibson-Park identified the overlap on the left wing and spun a really good pass at Dave Kearney. But... It seemed to wake Glasgow up, especially Matt Diwali was
0: like finding so many soft
1: shoulders to run at. And it was just a little bit of kind of classic Glasgow magic. Ali Price breaks through the middle of about six players. Don't know how he found a gap there. And offloaded a Sam Johnson who went over for Glasgow's first try. It was really back and forth, really good competitive game. But then Leinster started to turn the screw, started to hold onto the ball, carry with huge intensity. And every Munster fan got that blew away jersey to support Leinster. We were we were much more pleased with this particular <laughs> outcome. Particularly Rob Kearney, just with a cool head, ran a simple line, nearly knocked the ball on, but regathered it and dotted down under the posts. First try in three years, and then he went on later in the game and scored a second one. So it will be another six years or so before he gets his next try, <laughs> probably. <laughs> in the meantime, some nice interplay from the Leinster back three put Dave Kearney over for another try. Hastings pulled an unbelievable pass out To get Seymour on a wide line But my real thing is You're at 60, 62 minutes You're a try clear How on earth did Leinster concede Three unanswered tries And lose this
0: game at home? I honestly don't know And this is a big question for their defence coach Because if you look at the three tries they conceded There was a mall on 65 Another Maul on 72 Oh, with extra poor fringe defending And Leinster then forced the game for some reason and threw an intercept pass on their own five metre line.
1: This is the first time Leinster have lost at home this season. And whatever about momentum and squad rotation and having your eye on Europe next week, this is not a game where they should have conceded 21 unanswered points in 20 minutes. That's actually just not the type of standard Leinster hold themselves to. And it was a
0: poor outcome. And that just speaks to Leinster's concentration and just brain power at this time of the season. The coaching staff need to do better to get more from their players in these games. I know they have big games coming up next week and in a few weeks' time, but if you can't build momentum in these
1: ones, you're really hoping they can just switch it on next week. The key to a coach being a good motivator is that you don't need the big trophy game to get your players up for this one, and Leinster just did not look up for it. They did their usual good play with the ball when they had possession, But overall, they just weren't at the races here against a Glasgow team who dominated them at set piece, were extremely resilient in defence. Like Johnny Gray got 43 tackles with none missed. Like, Also, why is he making that many tackles? There's something wrong with your defensive structures of one player is the first man up 43 times. Yeah, although I think there was a couple of other players in that squad on 20 tackles. Leinster had a lot of ball. But Glasgow do still have to deal with the fact that their Mercurial Ten is super Mercurial. He could be brilliant, but he's also mostly insane. Well, that's the Glasgow way, surely. They should be used to it after how many seasons of Finn Russell, but it seems like Adam Hastings took all of the lessons from Finn instead of just the ones they wanted him to take. <laughs> we'll move on to Scarlet's V Zebre and Scarlet's with
0: a routine forty-two points and zero win. This game
1: was just really Unwatchably, disappointingly boring. Most of these points were scored in the last twenty minutes, after Reece Patchell has come on and Zebre have given up. I think this game was fourteen nil at half time. It was really tough to watch. Like, it doesn't help when
0: Halfpenny started the game as poorly as he did. He has found no form since he's come back from
1: injury. Not at all. But they didn't need the backs to be doing a whole lot because the Scarlet Scrum was obliterating Zebre. At every available opportunity. They were marching them back five metres at every scrum. Don't you mean the Zebrae? I do not mean the Zebrae. The Zebrae is not a thing. Stop it. Look, this wasn't the best of fixtures and the scrum was the big talking point of the first half. It was just so dominant that in the end, the referee had no decision but to yellow card the tight head for Zebrae just for basically getting smashed all of the time, which is kind of tough on him, and we've talked about this before. There's no real cynical foul play here. He's just not physically able to deal with Wynn Jones coming at him again and again. The problem is, if
0: Zebre could like actually hold on to the ball and not keep throwing forward passes and knock it on, he wouldn't be in as much
1: trouble as he was. That's a good point. <laughs> like This was a loose game, but you look at the first two tries for Scarlet's did come from that scrum. Kasim coming over from a number eight position. Hadley Parks. Again, off a scrum that was marching forward. In the second half, I think Scarlet's got a pretty good talking to, which was, yes, we know you're going to beat these guys, but it would be nice if you looked competent doing so. And Pacho came on in 50 minutes to steer the ship. They
0: were helped, though.
1: Zebra, another yellow card. Cynical foul. I'm annoyed at that
0: type of Zebra performance. Like, they do have better games in them. This was just terrible. They was
1: poor, and I think their heads really dropped at that stage. Having said that, Scarlets only wrapped up the try bonus point on 72 minutes. Ah, Porik's doing some maths here. Yeah, basically, they managed to score a fifth and a sixth try from just the absence of defending. Completely ridiculous. Not even going to justify with a conversation. And they nearly got a seventh, Porik. It's just so poor.
0: And let's be honest, Zebrae have nothing good to come out of this game. And everything bad. This is stuff we were going on about at the beginning of the season, just it, really coming back
1: again. It's the worst performance I've seen from Zebra all year. And having watched them 20 times at this stage, that's pretty impressive. Scarlet though, they can take something from this. Their pack were really good. Brilliant performance from the scrum and Josh McLeod actually looked like he was doing a bit of a tight burn impersonation. Scrum cap, steel ball, yep, check. McNichol then as well with some of his trademark finishing. Try number three, a lovely acrobatic finish on 60 minutes. Definitely. Zebra, on the other hand, poor decision making, poor discipline, poor handling. And Scarlets, you're not getting a free pass for this. I'm aware that it's a 42-0 win. It should have been 100. (laughs) Basically. We move on to the last game of the weekend and Cheetahs hosted Dragons down in Bloemfontein. And again, another game that lived up to all of my expectations for it. The Dragons' discipline here nearly scuppered them from minute five. They gave away three ruck penalties and were on a final warning before they got to five minutes, Porik.
0: That's bad. This game felt like both teams were just training out there and seeing what they'd get away with and what
1: they could pull off. And nobody trying anything particularly interesting. Like, there's no real surprise that it feels like a training game. Let's not forget, I don't think the Dragons have won away in like four seasons. They did not look like breaking that duck today. At 39 minutes, it was 3-all.
0: And Cheetahs did score a try just before time, making it 10-3. But this is not the scoreline you'd expect from this fixture. Or no. the amount of tries you'd expect Cheetahs to score full stop
1: and a half a rugby. No, and honestly, it took some pretty abject defending on the mall from Dragons to get Cheetahs over for that try. Dragons did look like they had managed to compose themselves a little bit in the second half. They came out, scored a try after some good one-up running and holding onto the ball and kicked on from there with the Cheetahs getting a yellow card with 20 minutes to go for their loose head who started a tight head having been pre-engaged for I think every scrum in the game and the ref just eventually losing patience with him.
0: And Dragons take the lead. Blow and it up now. Blow s- it up. As 60 minutes gone, can we look, look for a storm? You know, <laughs> you're, you're looking for something at that stage. But the cheetahs seem to just kick on and rejuvenate themselves and win this game in the next
1: 20 minutes. Well, it was deja vu because another bit of incompetent line out mall defense and the cheetah scrum half dummies and walks over on 62 minutes while a man down. They pan the camera to the prop on the bench, clapping. <laughs> That's mean. Yeah. That's just mean. (laughs) Talk about rubbing it in. In the last 10 minutes,
0: it seemed the altitude really hit Dragons. They were falling off tackles. The fitness levels plummeted, which isn't acceptable, but it is understandable.
1: Yeah. At no point did you have the sense that the Dragons were going to win this, but they really went off a cliff hard as that altitude sickness hit them. Not as bad as Zebra did. Uh, I mean, two cheetahs tries in the last three minutes didn't help, including another intercept where Max Wanek got the ball on a five meter line. Interesting, Max Wanne has now equaled Tim Visser's record within like, the Pro 12, Pro 14 for tries in a season, while his team are second bottom of their conference. And he'll more than likely go top with a game against Kings in two weeks' time. Look, not a lot really that either of these sides will take from this, apart from taking your chances when they're available, which both of them did. But the scrum from both sides was a complete lottery of nonsense. And the discipline from both sides was really poor. 20 plus penalties across them both is not good enough at this level. No. And look,
0: we'll just get to the league tables because all those results have had serious impact
1: on people's final positions. Definitely. And where we are now in Conference A is that Glasgow are top on 76 with Munster three points behind them on 73. And Connacht have secured third place with 61 points. So from Conference A, that is the Pro 14
0: knockout teams sorted, locked off and done.
1: Agreed. With the European playoffs still to come, Ospreys and Cardiff within a point of each other, 54 and 53. And with both those teams playing each other at judgment day, it's a straight shootout. Really exciting. Cheetahs on 41 points are quite a way off that and Zebre remain on 19 points at the bottom of the league. In Conference B after the week's results, Leinster obviously still on top but now without a win in their last three games in the Pro 14. So they've been north of 70 points for quite a while. <laughs> Ulster, with that win, have secured a home quarter final, and Connacht will be going up there in three weeks' time. But the battle for third place is still well and truly live. Benetton are on 52 points, Edinburgh on 51 and the Scarlets on 50. Any one of those three teams, depending on other results, could be facing Munster or potentially Glasgow in the quarter final. Benetton are
0: facing Zebra on the final day. They have it in their own hands really and I'm not going
1: to say any more on this in case I jinx them. Benenden are definitely going to beat Zebre at home. That is just going to happen. The other really interesting one though is that Glasgow are hosting Edinburgh in the last game of the season and need to get a win or a draw with a bonus point to be sure of holding off Munster who play host to Connacht and can still catch Glasgow if Glasgow lose. Please, Glasgow, lose. <laughs> a lot riding on that game. <laughs> Definitely. It's nice that there are still some permutations open at this stage of the season. But for Benetton and Glasgow, it's very much in their own hands. Go out, win, you're in. And the same is true for Edinburgh for that Champions Cup place. Although it could be a real difficulty because Scarlets are going to play Dragons at Judgment Day. And you really wouldn't bet against them getting a good win there.
0: Especially because Dragons are at the bottom of the table with 21 points. And Kings are ahead of them by just having more try bonus points and less wins. It's Oof. madness. But the Kings have only won two
1: games all year. That's bananas. And we gave them top performer for one of them. Yeah, we did. They beat Glasgow. <laughs> the Kings beat Glasgow this season. How? Anyway, moving on because that makes no sense to the second row top performer and clown of the round. We do love hearing from you, so get in touch on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. You pick the top performer so we don't have to. Oh, well, please do. That would be great because well. we like we argue over these quite a bit. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll give you a final call. We have narrowed it down to two players for this week's top performer and, Porik, the final decision is with you.
0: Yeah, it is between Geordie Murphy and Gavin Thornbury From their respective games... Henderson and Paul Boyle will grab the headlines. But for me, these two guys put in such a huge effort and their work rate was phenomenal. And picking up a try each puts them like neck and neck. And I'm going to let my personal bias come in a small bit and give it to Gavin (laughs) Thornbury. He's been performing really well, really had a big injury in the season. And to see him put in a performance like that after coming back in the last couple of weeks was huge. And for me, he was a top performer this week.
1: I think that's fair. I I watched both of these games and Jordy Murphy was up to his usual standard and and really, really hitting hard in that back row. But Gavin Thornbury, being in that engine room, driving forward that Connacht Pack was standout. And some of the work that he was doing, not just to carry, but as a distributor at Pivot, is really impressive. He's added that to his game since Ali Muldowney left a couple of years ago. Himself,
0: Alton Dan and Quinn Roo, it's actually hard to keep one out of
1: the team at this point. Definitely.
0: And we'll give you the count around because, you know, you're the more cutting
1: of the two of us. (laughs) Well, this week I had to sit through a lot of rugby, not all of which was great. Uh, I did find one of them more distracting than the others, though, as the Cheetah's crowd decided to stage high school musical Bloemfontein. I don't know what idiot thought that having some sort of chamber orchestra playing show tunes for the full first half of the game and continuing in all the breaks of play in the second half... Was a good idea, but they should be fired or dropped off the roof of their stupidly large stadium. Maybe just booked out a function room for the game. I mean, it's not like they didn't have enough space for it. There was another relatively empty crowd. But I don't want to hear Eye of the Tiger and the Copacabana being played on the bassoon when I'm trying (laughs) to watch the Cheetahs hammer the Dragons.
0: No, thank you. We do have to give an honorable mention to the Leinster defence team. 21 points in the last 20 minutes versus Glasgow. They're good. They're not that good lads. Yeah, cheers for that, guys. Much appreciated. <laughs> and that brings us on to next weekend. And it's a huge weekend of European rugby. There is a Pro 14 team in each of the Champions Cup
1: semi finals. There is. We start off on Saturday. Saracens hosting Munster in what is probably the biggest test that Johan van Rahn and his squad have faced. Missing their starting out half. Conor Murray having had, you know, mediocre form so far this year. And probably still to settle on who the number seven is for the starting team against a Saracens team that are starting to hit that end of season form that they seem to do every year now. This is all odds stacked against the Irish province, but that's kind of how Munster like it. It's the one thing I'd say all coaches
0: love to do. Spend a week in Saracens and go, how how do they do that? How do they manage that? Because that's actually phenomenal. As much as a lot of people don't like Saracens, you've got to give the rugby side them credit for how they do their business. Definitely. Off the pitch is a different story
1: altogether. Well, certainly some of their players off the pitch. I'm hoping that the Munster Stag comes dressed in a big rainbow jacket. (gasps) That would be hilarious. It would. Meanwhile, in the second semi-final on Sunday, Leinster play host to Toulouse in the Aviva after Toulouse came through that bonkers game against Racing. Which is now effectively a best of three for these guys.
0: Leinster winning in the Aviva last time round, Toulouse winning in France. This is winner takes
1: all, literally. And some of the same challenges that Munster have are plaguing Leinster at the moment as well. Tyke Furlong went off injured this week. That's a huge blow for them. Johnny Sexton couldn't buy form at this stage of the season. And Ross Byrne looked to be carrying a bit of a hand
0: injury. Whereas Toulouse just seemed to be getting stronger and stronger. That's a young team they have and they have the confidence to go on and take this Leinster team.
1: And their first choice 10 is going to be available, having served a one-week suspension for shouldering a guy into the neck. Yep. I mean, that sounds worse than it is. I don't think there was any malice in the tackles, so probably the right call to have him available for this game. Look, you just want big players in big games, and that weekend is going to be phenomenal. It is. Two other games taking place that weekend in the Challenge Cup. Unfortunately, Connacht weren't able to overcome Sale, who now travel to La Rochelle in the first of those semifinals. And eventual winners, Claremont, play host to Harlequins. <laughs> I, T- tell me you don't see Claremont winning this competition. Oh, no. Like, I I have no doubt Claremont will win this. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I would love if you've just jinxed them because that would be hilarious. Even my jinxing powers aren't that strong. There's no way Claremont don't win this you competition. You did a full weekend. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> But this is a bigger uh, a bigger disadvantage, I think. Fair enough.
0: And that's us for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week to see how Monster and Leinster got on in those European semi-finals. And decide if we care about the final. <laughs> I'd say we will, I think, somehow. I think there's good odds. <laughs> we will be slightly later next week. You can expect the podcast on Monday evening. That's right, Porek. Even committed podcasters like us take Bank Holiday Mondays seriously. <laughs> so, so until next time, goodbye. Thanks again for listening. Take care.